Welcome back, everybody, to part three of our Developabilities podcast episode on the Americans with Disabilities Act. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Eric Stoker, and I'm the Information Specialist for the Utah Development Disabilities Council, and we got a great show for you today. Joining me here in the studio are my co-hosts for today. We have with us today is we have Representative Cheryl Acton, who is with the Utah State Legislature, House District 43. Mirchin Diverchin, who is with who is the President and CEO of Camp Gestopolis. Hilary Hayes, who is with Utah State University Institute for Disability Research Policy and Practice. And finally, Andy Curry, who is the Executive Director of Roads to Independence in Ogden, Utah. So I want to say thank you to all of them for being for willing to take the time out of their busy schedules to be a part of our podcast episode for today. And with that, we will jump right into our interview. So my first question is, tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you got involved with the disability field. All right. So first of all, this is obviously, you know, something very special. I, I, I'm very, uh, you know, honored to, to be invited to talk about people with disabilities on your show. Thank you for the invitation, Eric. My name is Mircea Devrishian. I am the president and CEO of the Kostopoulos Dream Foundation, who has served this community specifically people with special needs and disabilities since 1962, according to the state of Utah. So this year, we're literally celebrating our 60th anniversary. Uh, a Greek immigrant by the name of Dan Kostopoulos moved here in the Salt Lake Valley in 1929. Uh, story of every immigrant came with $100 in his pocket and started working for the, for the Broadway Theater downtown, and he became the owner of the theater did not have any children of his own, invited children with disabilities into the theater, gave them tickets, concessions, and then realized that back in the 50s, they did not have many opportunities in this community to enjoy the great outdoors, socialize, make friends. And uh, um, he decided to make it a passion for, for him as a life passion to find a place, dedicate a place where people with disabilities can come together and enjoy so freely everything that people that don't have a disabilities do. So that's kind of like the humble beginning of Camp Kostopoulos. Uh, we had great people coming through Camp K uh, throughout times. My story with Camp K started in 1998. I was going to school to become a banker, have not worked or been around people with disabilities uh, up to that moment. And while in college, I ended up being a counselor here at Camp K in 1998. That was the first time I interacted with people with disabilities. First time I was part of this uh, beautiful environment at Camp K. Then I came the following summer and the following summer and I graduated and I worked in a bank for about six months and I decided that Camp K was a lot more rewarding for me than working into uh, a bank. So I came back in 2001 and I've been here ever since. So I, I got about 25 years with Camp Kostopoulos serving people with special needs and disabilities. It has been a privilege, it has been an honor. And, uh, uh, you know, that's a little bit about me. That's awesome, Mirchin. Who wants to go next? I will. Um, I probably, if it's okay. Go ahead. Um, I'm Cheryl Acton. I am, uh, I've been in the House of Representatives for the state of Utah for about five years now. And actually almost exactly five years. Um, and soon after I came in, I met Eric. Um, I was so impressed with with, he taught me so many things that I did not know because 
I've never been, you know, professionally or even really very closely personally involved with with the people with disabilities directly very much, but I learned so much in that first meeting with Eric and I've just been um, very tuned into it ever since. And I know that I personally appreciate the Americans with Disabilities Act, especially when I travel to other parts of the world where they do not have <laughs> such protection. Not that I'm, you know, I mean, everyone benefits from them. So um, I think it's one of the best things about our country is that we we take those issues seriously. And, and as a state, there's so much that we need to do, so much that we could do to improve the landscape for people with disabilities. And that is um, an interest of mine. And so I thought I would wanted to listen anyway. And I was, uh, thank you so much for inviting me to participate on the podcast. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, Representative Acton, and it's my pleasure. Hillary or Andy, who wants to go next? I'll go next. Okay. Um, so my name is Hillary Hayes, and I work for, you know, as Eric mentioned, for Utah State University for the Institute of Disability Research Policy and Practice. And my role here at Utah State University is to provide training and technical assistance to job coaches or employment specialists or anyone really um, who provide employment related services to individuals with disabilities. Um, a little bit about me, um, I graduated from the University of Utah with a double major in human behavioral science and education with a minor in disability studies. And I've been working the field of providing vocational related services to individuals for about a decade. Um, I've been an employment specialist working with individuals considered most significantly disabled. I provided services to individuals transitioning out of homelessness. Um, individuals with mental health and substance use diagnosis, veterans, etc. So I have a lot of personal experience um, working as a service provider, and um, I'm now I'm able to help train others. And I am also um, an individual with disabilities. Um, so, but just you know, talking about my role in providing vocational related supports, I'm, you know, I'm probably going to focus the most on workplace accommodations. Um, you know, which under Title One of the ADA. Um, requires employers with 15 or more employees to provide qualified individuals with disabilities um, that equal opportunity to, you know, benefit from the full range of employment um, and employment-related opportunities available to others. Um, so, you know, and really, like the Americans with Disability Acts, you know, it's, you know, it's in, it's incredible um, act, and I'm just incredibly excited to be here. Accommodations and accessibility really is a passion of mine. So thank you, Eric, for having me here. It's my pleasure, Hillary. Andy, we'd like to hear from you. Yeah. And again, thank you, Eric, for hosting this and uh, having us on. Um, so the ADA, I'll just quickly, you know, as a, I have a deep passion for the ADA. Um, um, and again, um, I'm the director of Roads to Independence. Uh, I've been the director since 2004. Um, and I also have a disability. I'm a quadriplegic. Um, I broke my neck um, when I was 17, and that was 32 years ago. You can do the coincidence there. Yes, the ADA was 32 years ago. So uh, my accident was uh, actually was in September 1st. So just about a month and now that'll be 32 years. So I kind of have this weird anniversary birthday with the ADA. Um, 
and um, but uh, just really quickly with our center and everything on our services and everything, just a little background of that. We primarily cover Morgan, Weber, and Davis uh, counties. Um, there are six independent living centers in Utah, and then there's 500 nationwide. We provide services and supports for people with disabilities, all age groups, and all types of disabilities. So we serve all uh, different people with disabilities, and obviously ADA covers all types of people with disabilities. So we're hand in hand with uh, those type of services, and we look at you know accommodations, both workplace to service programs, uh, um, community activities to um, physical access to electronic access, accessibility, all those type of things. Um, and then of course we do advocacy, life skills, recreation, all those type of things. We do lots of referrals and resources. We do a lot of assistive technology. We have a large loan bank of equipment um, that's you know wheelchairs, walkers, shower benches, shower chairs. So we try to do a little bit of anything and everything for people with disabilities, all to keep them as independent as possible in the community. Um, and that's obviously that's where people want to be, right? Want to be in the community, um, living life to the highest level you possibly can. So, and again, happy to be here. I'm excited to have you as well, Andy. So my next question for our co-hosts is, what were you doing when the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed and who told you all about it? Who wants to start us off? I can, <laughs> I can, I can go. <laughs> Maybe we go reverse order. So yeah, so obviously, like I said, I was uh, 17 at the time when the ADA passed. I had no knowledge of it whatsoever. Never heard of it. Didn't know anything about disability issues or anything. I was a, a football player, played every sport you can imagine in high school. Actually had a scholarship to play uh, for Oklahoma University, um, play football for them. And um, so a month after the ADA had passed, that's when my accident, I was in a rollover, I was in a vehicle accident, I was an old 69 Bronco, and obviously, as you can imagine, that rocked my world, and, um, um, and then people started telling me about the ADA and all this kind of stuff, and I was like, the ADA will do great things for you people, I'm like, what do you mean you people, and, uh, you know, so I had this weird kind of thing on it, and, uh, and I quickly, I was in rehab for about uh, six months and then I was going back to school. And um, the first thing was like, well, most people that have disabilities will go to um, Aztec, which is kind of one of our rival schools, go to this other school. Um, and I was living in uh, rural New Mexico, Farmington, New Mexico. And I was like, uh, why would I go to that school when I live in Farmington and it didn't make a lot of sense. And they're like, well, you know what the, and people started talking about the ADA and accessibility and, you know, we need to do these things. And our school was not that most, wasn't very accessible. So uh, luckily my principal was a, I was one of my former coaches and he just kind of went around and I was known as big Andy. And so we just kind of went around the school campus and, he just, uh, the maintenance guys were there and they're like, let's, you know, I was like, well, this isn't very accessible. And he, and the maintenance guys, well, I don't think we can do that because of this and this. And the principal was like, yeah, we're going to make that happen. We're going to make those changes. We're going to make that happen. And that's kind of, and so um, it was pretty quick and easy. I had a, you know, really supportive environment. And then I went to college. Well, and this was 92. 
which is when everything was supposed to be accessible, right? Everybody had to be up to code and everything in 1992. We're still working on that. <laughs> but in 92, um, I went to college and it was, I was, I didn't have this warm and fuzzy in, you know, environment that I, you know, I grew up in and everything, the supportive environment. And so it was scrambling because college universities were scrambling, trying to find uh, resources, what's accessible. They were reading the guidelines and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I did go into New Mexico State, and uh, they uh, and the reason I chose that school really is because the um, apartment dorm room that I was in and everything it was on campus housing and everything they were just being built, and they um, they allowed me to as a freshman to live in those ones because they were the more accessible ones, but they had made mistakes reading the regulations and everything, and but they were like we're going to do anything we can to make this place accessible. And that's why I chose them because they had that accessible restroom. You know, most people pick for degrees and different things like that. I, I went to several campuses who was the most accessible, who is willing to make accommodations. And that's the place that I chose. So, um, so I learning through that and I got put on the ADA committee for the university. Um, we all started learning the ADA in this big thick book and uh, reading regulations and trying to figure it out together. And uh, we actually had a, a good environment. It was collaboration and things like that and going with uh, what was the most accessible and what made, what made sense and what was reasonable, uh, what they could do. So I think it was a really good environment. It was, that was my introduction learning all these regulations. And then later on being working for a center for independent living, I learned the whole history of the ADA and um, Justin Dart and um, uh, Ed Roberts and you know ever Jody Human and everybody working together and Bob Kafka working to get this this law passed and what it took and so I got you know put into the grassroots effort and uh, you know I would have never been able to go to college I would have never been able to go back to my school without the ADA being passed so again I have this huge um, heartfelt for the ADA and a passion for it. And again, once I got into the workforce, that was the same thing, trying to find uh, some of the places that I went looking for jobs and everything were not accessible. And if they weren't accessible, if I couldn't get in there, they weren't gonna hire me. So I learned quickly, I had to try and work as an advocate to make every place accessible so that the next generation didn't have to face those same type of things. So, um, still working on those type of things. Obviously, there's still barriers and things like that we work on. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a great piece of legislation. Worked on the Rehabilitation Act with uh, Senator Hatch. I've been on his Disability Advisory Committee, and um, it was a great working relationship with him getting that passed as well. So I got, I got a long history with it, and I probably could take up all the time alone just with that, but I'll end it there. That's awesome, Andy. Anyone else want to go next? That's great. Boy, I, I I could spend a week with you guys learning so much. Um, for me, I, I was vaguely aware. I was an adult. I was married. And I even had a child when it actually passed. And I do remember Bob Dole being very involved in its passage. But um, And I do remember witnessing changes um, that were good changes that needed to happen. But from my perspective as a state legislator, I see government's role in every in every realm 
to be one of removing obstacles in the paths of people. And of course, there are a lot of unnecessary obstacles for people with disabilities. Um, and whatever we can do as a government or um, as society to help anyone remove obstacles so that they can flourish, that's what I see is what government should be doing. So I'm all ears and I'm always open to ideas about what we can do. And I'm just glad, as I said before, that we have the ADA. You know, you often hear that um, the national parks are America's best idea. And I always think, oh, wait a minute, I think maybe the ADA, I'm not sure that it originated with America, but I think it did. And anyway, it's it's one of America's best ideas. So, um, yeah, it is inspiring to listen to all of you in regards to this, uh, you know, major accomplishment. So. I was, uh, I was born in Europe, I was born in Romania, and in 1989, uh, the communism regime uh, fell apart all over Eastern Europe, including Romania. So, uh, and that was December 1989, and then you got 1990. I was just literally just a kid when that happened back in Romania. And as you can imagine, uh, people with disabilities in, in Romania and in Europe and in many other countries where they don't have an ADA uh, law, uh, they don't even have what we have in this country, which by far it's still not sufficient, not enough for people with disabilities. I agree with Representative Acton. You know, we, we, we tend to say con conservative Republicans or conservative politicians tend to say that I'm trying to keep government out of your way so people can live life. But unfortunately, in regards to people with disabilities, you, you just can't do that. People with disabilities, you have to enact support. You have to help them because they don't speak for themselves. They do not have a voice like many other major groups have. People with disabilities are the largest minority in the world in the U.S. 1 billion people in the world, 56 million people in America. It's 20%, by far the largest minority, and they don't have a voice. And, and that, to me, it's still appalling and striking and dedicating 25 years, a quarter of a century, fighting and, and working for people with disabilities is, uh, it's, it's been, you know, a privilege and an honor in many different ways. I can tell you that my first time learning about ADA was in 1998, as I said, when I came here to U.S. And uh, you know, I think I think uh, uh, it's 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 a wonderful accomplishment that this country has an act such as such as that. Many, most countries in the world don't, including developed countries. You go to we hire we serve people from all over the country and all over the world, Canada, uh, U.K. and many other parts. Uh, with different disabilities. We serve every disability under the moon here at Camp Cave, uh, children, teens, and adults uh, with uh, all sorts of cognitive challenges or physical challenges. And uh, I can tell you that you can go in UK, you can go in Germany, you can go in many developed countries, and they don't have uh, what we have here for people with disabilities. And then if you go into those other lesser countries, uh, that don't even have the means of the developed countries, then it's the tragic is a whole lot more deeper. So when you will look at the situation of people with disabilities from around the world, when you think of, you know, uh, children with disabilities or people with disabilities in Ukraine right now, 
you know, I can tell you that there's absolutely uh, 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 stories, horrendous stories that if movies will be made, they'll win not one Oscars, but many Oscars in regards to how tragic and how dramatic the situation is. And, uh, you know, uh, people with disabilities in centers or whatnot in Ukraine are being obviously abandoned by people that are able bodies that work with them because they're afraid of word, they're just leaving. So um, it is a tragic situation and this country should be very proud of how far has come in regards to fighting and supporting people with disabilities. You know, is it enough? Absolutely not. I really feel very strong that just like any other groups, LGBTQ, uh, Black Lives Matters, any groups that have fought to accomplish certain things for themselves, people with disabilities don't have a voice, and it's it's upon it's upon all of us that that are human beings to help them to feel you know like they are included and they feel in the, they feel like they have independent lives and they, they feel meaningful full life and and. They live full lives uh, as much as possible into this world. They don't ask for much, and uh, they should be given a lot more than they we have as at this point. Um, you know, uh, working with them, I can tell you that it, it has become a passion of mine, and the last two years has been extremely difficult in regards to their situation and how they have been segregated back into where it was before the pandemic for the fear of not you know, getting the virus and so on and so forth. And, and we hope that as they come back and they feel like they're being reintegrated in the community, we're there for them, support them and give them you know, compassion and help them achieve full potentials. We can learn so much from them. They're the kindest, most amazing human beings. When you talk about humanity, you know, that's where it is. So uh, to me, it is a passion. I'm very proud of being part of of uh, this beautiful community and supporting them and achieving, you know, full potential. I could just piggyback on what you said. I, that was very inspiring. Thank you. Um, but I, I think it's really like we mentioned, like, you know, other countries like disability does not, you know, discriminate against gender, age, nationality. It affects all populations equally across the board. Right. And it's part of the human experience. Like disability does not discriminate, you know, and it's, you know, it's incredible important to keep that in mind, right? It, it affects everyone equally. So, you know, individuals with disabilities, like they really should be treated equally. <laughs> it really should. And, and, and to your case, to your point, some people are born with it and a lot of people acquire it. Like Andy, you know, like, you, you know, you have a terrible accident and here you have a brain injury, you know, it, it, it really happens. Life happens, you know, uh, one way or another. I was also going to add that, you know, most of us will say that if you're, you know, if you're not disabled now, wait, if you get old enough, you will be. We're all kind of temporary able-bodied because you will eventually get a disability the older you, older you get. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's part of the human experience and it should be, you know, normalized and like you it mentioned. Should be um, normalized. I agree with you. What you just said right now is the most powerful thing right there. Just like we're normalizing everything else, this should be normalized as well. And 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 I I, I fought for CAMCAN for people with disabilities, and I feel like you know the strides are so minimum. It's so difficult to raise awareness for people with disabilities in a humane way. 
Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Like, why is it so hard? Um, and, and you mentioned earlier, like, you know, it can happen at any time. Like I was born with uh, cognitive disabilities. I have dyslexia and ADHD, but then I acquired um, a traumatic brain injury as a result of an um, automobile accident when I was 18. So it can happen just to anyone at any time. And it, it, it should be normalized. It really should. It's true. I really like how this discussion is going. This is awesome, guys. So my next question is, how has the Americans with Disabilities Act impacted the work you are doing and why? Andy? <laughs> so, uh, how it's impacted the work, is that what you said? Sorry. Yeah, that is. So, obviously, um, as an advocate and everything, um, um, my first start into a lot of my uh, advocacy work and everything, like I said, in um, and that was more just personal advocacy, but it was also for the betterment of, you know, all disabilities, um, was really at the university and everything when I got first on the ADA committee and everything. Of course, that was a volunteer position and everything. And, um, you know, some of the thing, easiest things that we were looking at was just, you know, door openers. Um, the campus had a lot of really, really heavy doors. And they tighten them down so much because there's a Las Cruces is very windy, and um, and so they would crank them down. Well, we couldn't open them up, and uh, so then they start putting uh, and the door openers were very expensive, and especially back then because they were all pretty new technology and everything. And um, once we put the uh, we put the president, we got him. Uh, to ride in a wheelchair for a day and go up and down campus and try it out. After he did that, he ordered like 50 door openers. And he's like, we're going to get those because it's horrible. It's just absolutely horrible. <laughs> and so that was kind of that first kind of win for me as a young man and everything to be able to say, hey, we can we can make a difference and everything. And then um working um then going into the centers for independent living and everything when i worked with the first center um as an advocate and learning the history and everything and what people had done before me it felt like i needed to carry that torch and you know take it to the next level so and that's kind of what we do as centers for independent living um that could be individual advocacy and working with people with employment and um some of the bigger things I would say that we were working a lot with now is the technology. Uh, a lot of people forget about, I mean, we, you know, I'm on a, uh, I'm, like I said, I'm here in DC at the moment at a conference and we have, uh, you know, I have my phone on to be able to do some of this kind of technology and everything. It's all touchscreen. Well, if you have a visual disability or a blind, you know, some of these type of things you can't do. I've been to many restaurants here in the DC area and some of them all have, you have to order on touchscreen because they were going to try and cut down on um, some of the COVID viruses and things like that. And so all the technology went to touchscreen. Well, if you have a visual disability, how are you supposed to know some of these things? They have signage and all this kind of stuff. So some of that type of stuff, accessibility, trying to create that awareness about that kind of stuff. So, I mean, we work a lot with ADA issues. Um, those are some of the physical accessibility type of things. Um, work with schools and everything about accommodations, 504 plans, um, trying to, you know, uh, one of my 504 things uh, 
and I didn't even know what was a 504 thing when I, you know, was in school. It just kind of was given to me type of thing was uh, I needed to be able to have a table that I could write on and everything. And so they just brought in these little tables for each one of my classes. And, you know, as I went from a junior to a high school or for a senior, they just moved them to different ones. I didn't, you know, it was a very small accommodation, but it made a huge difference, right? I, you know, you got to have something to write on, be able to take notes. Um, when I went to college, again, they were still getting up to speed and things like that with classes and people were doing, you know, note takers like, well, can you just ask somebody that's sitting next to you to take notes and things like this and get a copy of them? And I was like, looking at some of the, I can't read their handwriting and I don't know if I trust them to get all the information. I don't know what kind of grades they have. So I don't know if that's a great idea. So um, learning some of those things later on and everything. So um, I talked with some of my uh, fellow people with disabilities and everything. And I was like, if I would have known as a senior what I knew as a freshman, then it would have changed my world, you know? And so now in this position, we get to do that. We do a lot of youth transition. And so we get to teach some of the students, you know, the freshmen is like, hey, this is how you need to register. This is when you need to register. If you need attendant services and you're living on campus and they need a parking pass to be able to come up to your apartment to do things, these are the things that you need to do. Um, if you need interpreters, if you need note takers, if you need, you know, uh, adaptive equipment in your classrooms, if you're taking, you know, a uh, lab on campus for chemistry and things like that, and you're in a wheelchair, how are you going to carry chemicals and things like that? So there's all these different nuances and all these really specific details that tend to get overlooked. And if you don't catch them at the very beginning, then those students get behind, right? So they're in their first or second month and they're already starting from behind because they, you know, they were, you know, they didn't have these accommodations. And so they're working from behind and it's like, oh, this is so much more stressful. So being able to do all these kind of things up front and preparing students and everything, hey, this is going to be tough, but we're going to get through these kind of things and maybe some adaptions that we can do starts them much better off, uh, you know, um, um to you know starts them off to better to be more successful and then like i said anything system wise and things like that we still with the dna and technology and everything people are applying for food stamps and all kinds of stuff through um, computers and things like that and a lot of our people don't have those type of thing that technology and stuff like that and even if you go into some of the offices they're like well you can just go over there and um apply on that computer and it's like i've never used a computer before or I have very limited ability to do some of those type of things. And, you know, I've never been taught, things like that. So having those advocates and things like that to be able to do that, but also advocate to the providers and saying, hey, you need to make these accommodations um, and still working some of that. I still get calls all the time. In fact, I just got a referral about a restaurant that doesn't have an accessible bathroom and it's a brand new establishment. So um, parking spots, not having accessible van parking spots, uh, things like that, or they, you know, mismeasured. Uh, we're having tons of apartments that are built in the Ogden area. And 
looking at, uh, went and looked at some of the accessibility of the brand new one. We got somebody in and they put all the cabinets in the kitchens way up high. And so they have all these brand new cabinets and everything that are completely out of reach of the person. And they have this kind of this L shape and there's a cabinet above it. There's no way. No, nobody's going to be able to reach that or use that cabinet. Um, they have uh, double stacked washer and dryers. Again, she's in a wheelchair. She's never going to be able to reach the dryer up at top. So these type of things and to fix these, it's going to cost thousands of dollars, unfortunately. And if we could have caught those at the very beginning, yeah. if they would have reached out and said, hey, how can we do these type of things? It would have been pennies. You know, it would have been almost nothing. So, you know, having enough manpower to kind of catch some of that, you know, it's really hard for us to be able to catch all of those type of things, but especially when they're growing like this. But I mean, there's the industry has got to really do their part and really do their due diligence and catching these things in advance. And, you know, we're doing this type of work for free to, to educate them and teach them and, you know, help them do these type of things so we can catch them up front. But I mean, it's the better benefit for everybody. You know, if it's more accessible for everybody or easier, we can, you know, set up a program or system that, you know, somebody with a cognitive disability or learning disability, then it just makes it so much easier for everybody else too. It's very succinct, very easy, very organized, and just makes it easy. So, um, so I think again, like some people said, it just makes it inclusive, and that's the whole idea. So, that is an awesome answer, Andy. I like that answer. Anybody else want to go next? For that question? I, I could go next. Um, go my role, I see my role with this. I mean, I would love to have legislation that I could point to. Um, and But I do see a role of awareness, which thanks to Eric, especially, I've become more aware of these issues. Um, and also seeking solutions, especially to the shameful wait list that we have. It's always right there top of mind whenever we're having any kind of financial discussion. I will say in the legislature, it is, it does seem to be becoming more of an issue, the wait list. And so I do anticipate hopefully um, making some advance in that area. But I think the advocacy that others do is very effective. I know each year at the Capitol, we have an event where um, constituents invite their representatives to come to during session. And that's very effective because it shows us, like we said, at least 20% of the population. And, and that probably doesn't include the elderly, the morbidly obese, you know, it's really a matter of almost everyone has disabilities. Um, so um, it, it, it does increase awareness. Um, and I think that's very effective. But um, I think it's interesting too that the anniversary falls in July, which is um, Independence Month. We talk about independence and that's really what it's about because that's a proper goal. Everyone wants to be independent. It's not, a, it's not some sort of special treatment. It's just let me be independent and don't put obstacles in my path. So, um, trying to represent that and speak to that on the floor when we're discussing bills. I'm also on health and human services and disability issues do come up there from time to time. So um, 
I just really appreciate being more aware. And I think I, that's part of my role is helping others be aware. I can, if I'll echo that, I would really encourage people to talk with their legislators and talk about those issues. And, um, and if it's okay, there's actually two pieces of legislation that, again, on some of this, I can keep going for hours and everything, so I don't want to monopolize, but there are two pieces of legislation that were more recently. Um, one was we worked with uh, Representative Thurston on um, basically a process because there became this big animosity when we, as advocates and people with disabilities, because there's not a there's not enforcement of ADA. So if you're talking restaurants and everything, there's not, there's nobody, there's not the ADA police that you can just call and say, hey, they're not accessible and they get a citation and they have to fix it. So it's us as advocates have to write a letter, say, hey, this is what you need to do and fix it. And they can just ignore you. The only way that you can force them to do that is to sue them. And nobody really wants to sue another business or an organization. Um, because it costs money, time, energy, it makes you look bad because even though you're the victim, they treat you as, you know, the aggressor and it makes you look bad. And, but you're just like, I just want to have access to your bathroom that you should just have an accessible bathroom or, you know, everybody's got to go, <laughs> you know, that's just equal access. And then, so, um, so one of the things and so when people started suing and everything, then they would reflect back and they would go to their legislator and say, hey, we're getting sued over these really frivolous lawsuits and uh, you know minor violations and everything. This doesn't make sense. You need to stop this type of behavior from happening to us because it's costing us tens of thousands of dollars. And, and keep in mind, in any of these lawsuits, the victim, the person with the disability gets nothing out of that. The only thing they get is the business or organization has to become accessible. So the only people that profit off of this is the lawyers. And if it costs a business thousands and thousands of dollars, it's because they're paying their attorneys to fight this. So if they just make the accommodation, then it usually is just a few hundred dollars. But so there was this back and forth on who's right, who should be doing this. And, and so we wrote some basically some guidelines that say, hey, if you do this, if you're going after an organization or anything that's inaccessible and you give them notification, you let them know, you give them chances to fix everything. And if they still ignore you, sue them. You know, it's their fault. They ignored it. They realized that this was a violation. And as far as our alarm makers and everything, they're going to do a hands off. It's like, hey, they followed our guidelines. They said, this is the best recommendation way. They followed it. You ignored them. That's on you now. Right. So, so that was one piece. It was a negotiation. It is a guideline. It's nothing cut and fast. But we feel strongly if people follow that, and it gives the businesses an opportunity to fix those things. And if they just ignore it, and they, you know, and again, if they are ignoring it, then they are discriminating against you. And that's illegal under the ADA. And therefore they do have a, you know, they should be sued for those type of behaviors. And again, the only thing they have to do is make the fix the accommodation. The other that's piece good. of legislation is to kind of create a little bit of that enforcement piece, which is an ombudsman. So that is just going into effect right now. 
And so the on, there's a disability ombudsman, which is through the this DSPD. And so this program is just starting. It just got passed through the legislature. So there'll be, you know, basically it's one person, but they can have volunteer ombudsman to help educate, enforce, make aware, fix some of the um, both ADA issues, accessibility issues, disability issues that people are applying or um, accessibility on campuses and things like that, a resource and things like that to help negotiate and fix some of these type of things as well. So those are just two kind of recent success, successes all kind of surrounding the ADA that I thought would be important to share. That's so. great. So just, just to add a little bit of good to that, um, there are um, accessibility-related tax incentives for any businesses that go and make their um, place um, accessible. So there are tax incentives, too. Not only, you know, are you helping the community by making things, you know, accessible and accommodating, but you can also get a tax incentive and not get sued. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to add, you know, obviously here at Camp Costopolis, knowing that we serve people with disabilities, uh, we built and everything, you know, with ADA protocols and guidelines in mind. So all our facilities, all our buildings, all our vehicles are accessible. They have wheelchair ramps uh, and lifts. So uh, everything that we, we do have here obviously is prepared and serves people with disabilities. However, you know, not everywhere uh, outside of Camp K, it is the case, just like Andy was talking about, a lot of our people uh, that go to different places. Simple example, we take our participants to jazz games, and unfortunately, as big as that arena is, they literally have a, a very small number of accessible seating, and typically those are all the way up in the top and uh, you know, people with disabilities, very difficult for us to, if we have, you know, more than, uh, you know, a certain number of people in wheelchair, they won't be able to sell us tickets because they don't have that many. So just, you know, such a, such a prominent, you know, arena in our community that we're so proud of and we want everybody to go and cheer for their favorite, you know, team here in town does not have enough uh, seating for people with disabilities in wheelchair. So that's a shame. You know, there's other people that work for prominent banks here in our community. I'm not going to name, but uh, he's in a wheelchair and that particular bank, which is a big, huge national international bank, has a presence here in Utah. He does not have an accessible restroom in that building. So there is a lot of things that you would think in today's world, they should not exist anymore. And unfortunately, they do. And it's sad that you have to fight for it, like Andy's talking and suing. But unfortunately, that's really a representative act. And you were very right. Unfortunately, government is the only one that can enforce, you know, equality in, in regards to people with disabilities. It's so sad that it is what it is, you know, uh, and, and it's very difficult. And it's a, it's, a, it's a very tough situation. In regards to the waiting list that you mentioned, what that is, is, there's people that are born or they have a disability and they apply for being accepted onto receiving services or, or, or money to buy services. And that is a shame. You know, we got people that uh, come to Camp K uh, and uh, they have applied 15 years ago and they have not been approved 15 years ago. Now they're in their 30s and their parents are getting old and their parents are wondering, is this ever going to? 
you know, move the needle. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just like everything else. Uh, it's a shame because, you know, the more severe or the more, you know, you can appeal that you are a severe case, you might get bumped up the list versus somebody else that maybe is not quite as severe. Why do we need to make that? If you have a disability, you need assistance, you need assistance. It doesn't matter where, if you're, if you're in a wheelchair, you can't do anything for yourself, or maybe you can do a little bit for yourself. So I, I think it's, it's very, it's, it's very, yet we find money and we find billions and millions for everything else seems like it but we just can't find it for people with disabilities. That's the challenge that I have, and it's not a lot. Even with Camp Kostopoulos, I know for a fact that the service code that we have for our services, it's a respite code. It, well, we provide a lot of services here at Camp K from food, you know, housing, overnight accommodation, supervision 24 seven. And I know that that code does not pay for a lot of the services we do. And, you know, I get, luckily we're a charity and the community has been generous to donate to cover the difference than the government, you know, does not cover the cost of actual service. And we're struggling with that because, you know, the last two years with the pandemic has been very difficult to uh, receive to acquire donations. You didn't have fundraising events in person, you know, people's giving habits have changed. Inflation, you know, makes it such where they don't have as much money to give. And, you know, we're appealing to DSPD to say, look, for for over 30 years, we 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 did we gave you a service for dirt cheap. And we did it because we're a nonprofit. But at this point, you know, donations are just not coming in as much as they used to come. And you need to help us pay more towards the actual cost of the service that we provide. And we feel like we're being bullied and, you know, for asking for uh, covering the actual cost of the service we provide. So there is a lot of challenges and there is a lot of problems. And, you know, just like everything else, the people that have the biggest voice, the loudest voice, you know, and uh, they, they get what they need. Like Andy said, unless you sue, things don't happen. And maybe that's what's going to have to happen with people with disabilities. I don't know. It's super sad that somebody that does not have the energy, the passion, the drive, the knowledge of how to do certain things, they have to do certain things to get what they are so rightfully, uh, you know, uh, uh, should should receive. And that's that's the challenges and the struggles. I think, you know, we have come a long ways and I think we are doing phenomenal comparison to other countries from around the world where you still have countries maybe like China or Russia or other countries where uh, people with disabilities are put in institutions and nobody ever sees them, you know, and that is a fact. And it's very, very sad. So compared to that, it's a night and day. But compared to where we should be, you know, I don't feel like, you know, we really uh, scratched the surface enough to really get to where we need to be in regards to supporting and giving dignity to people with disabilities where they need it. Like Andy's talking about bathrooms. Well, that's a major problem everywhere, you know? Like you should have a bathroom that you can access. Doesn't matter if you're in a, you know, uh, uh, office building, uh, a conference, a hotel, a restaurant, anywhere you, you, in your own home, everywhere you are, you should be able to. We have a camper here at Camp K. His name is Christian. He is in a wheelchair. And, you know, it's a tragic story to hear that, you know, obviously, as you grow and you, you develop, you can't go play at your friend's house, houses, because those houses are not built for you to go play with them. 
because you can't go up the stairs, you can't do certain things, you can't go to their bathroom. So you're basically at their mercy to to want to come to play with you in your own house. And that's another, you know, thing that people don't, you know, they take for granted. They don't even think about it. And, you know, uh, it, it, there are realities, realities that exist and and they should be openly discussed. And uh, there is more that we should do as a society. There's more that we can do as a society. We're, we're the richest nation on earth, for God's sake. And, and there's no excuses anymore that we find money, billions of dollars for this or then the other but not for things to to give people the opportunity to feel like, you know, uh, humane, really. So that's kind of where we are. And I feel like, you know, we've done great comparison to in comparison to other countries, but there's still a lot to do in our own country, in our community, in our own backyard. Definitely. I wondered, is there a um, is there one or two states are there one or two states who do a really good job who have like that we could look to because sometimes we can look at what they did or their legislation and so forth to really get some good ideas do you know of one or two that really are good are well known for good services i i, 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 I doing good stuff um i'm not sure on any other states but i know rhode island's doing um things differently and um, in in relation to support employment, um, very least. Um, but also, also you mentioned, um, you know, institutionalization, like in other countries. I just want to point out, it has not been that long since we mm -hmm. institutionalized all individuals with disabilities. It has not been that long. There is still an institution here in Utah, right? Like, and for those of you listening, if you haven't um, heard about um, the Willowbrook case um, with Geraldo Rivera, um, look into it. It really exposes the deplorable conditions um, that were institutions in the United States. Uh, and it was not that long ago, and there's still an institution here. Mm. I know other yeah, states I, uh, 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 here in Utah is kind of centralized through DSPD, uh, but I know other states that are decentralized like Minnesota and others where, you know, local government takes care of a lot of the needs. Uh, so I, I'm not sure Maybe Andy knows a little bit more in regards to how other states deal with this and if there is a model better than ours. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's the question. Yeah, I would I would say so. I mean, there's different pockets and everybody. Every system has problems and issues and things like that. Some sure. systems, uh, you know, are better than others and everything. So, I mean, there are some surrounding states like Wyoming doesn't have any waiting lists for any of their programs or attendant mm. programs. Um, mm. New York and California, Florida, you know, some of the bigger states, they don't have waiting lists for most of their programs. Um, they also provide 24 hour attendant care services, which is kind of unheard of here. But when we say that here in Utah, people kind of freak out and like, oh, we can't do that. That's way too expensive. And I was like, no, it's not. The cost of yeah. somebody in a nursing home is 80,000 a year on sure. average where well, somebody on a waiver is $26,000 a year. So if, and if you're looking at aggregate, you know, overall, cause not everybody in the community is gonna be, you know, if somebody needs attendant services 24 hours a day, that's in the community. I mean, let's say their plan is a $100,000 a year. That's not gonna be every single person. If you're looking on the average, I mean, it's still going to be less than what it costs to be in a nursing home. 
So taxpayers are going to be paying less. And so in the, on our state system, because we pay, you know, we have a split. So the feds pay the majority of all those costs and everything. I think it's, I think it's a little bit overlooked a lot of times because they're like, well, that's, that's a cost savings, but that's a lot of federal dollars. And, but we still have that institutional bias, right? Because in our state, if you need more than, and I'm generalizing here, but if you need more than two hours of attendant services a day, you can go into a nursing home and get services right away. I mean, you're entitled to an entitlement program, but if you need more than two attendant hours of service and you want to stay in the community, you have to go to a waiting list. Mm-hmm. And you, you don't have those, you don't have that entitlement. So many states have created an entitlement program to kind of bridge those gaps. So it doesn't have to be, you know, this whole big chunk, you know, you have to get into this waiver program and then you have this huge variety of services that can be very costly. There's very stepping stones. So we have the minimum supports waiver that's coming in play. So some of those type of things, but Mm -hmm. um, in Utah, we were very, I call them silos. So we have these eligibility silo programs. So, you know, Uh, the community supports waiver, which is primarily for people with developmental disabilities or cognitive disabilities. And then you have the physical disability waiver, and then you have the traumatic brain injury waiver. So you have to fit one of these definitions. And so you have to fit that silo um, where some of your more broader programs that are kind of the um, uh, entitlement programs. So there's one that's called like the personal care option that's in New Mexico. And it, it doesn't matter what type of disability is. If you need the attendant services and you qualify, you get the attendant services. It could be for a mental disability. It could be for a physical disability. It could be um, mental health issue type of disability, respite, you know, all kind of gets incorporated into that. And so it's one eligibility cross platform across all disabilities. So, um, so there's, so you can look at different programs if you're looking at like physical accessibilities there's some model cities like uh, san antonio is usually recorded as one of the best cities as far as accessibility they have the you know the gondolas and then they have all the river walk and all of that kind of stuff and it's very accessible i mean they spend a lot of time and energy to do that but people flock there because it's it's very accessible and people appreciate some of those things like the ramps versus steps and things like that. And it's something you don't think about, uh, you know, consciously. It's like, oh, this is just the easy path to be able to go down, not realizing that path is very accessible for people in chairs as well. It just, you know, it flows right. very easily and nice. Yeah. So I, I prefer um, a, a wheelchair accessible path, for example, even in a hiking, on a hiking trail. If it's wheelchair accessible, I can do it. Yeah. If yeah. it's not, I'm, you know, I may not be able to do it either. So, yeah. Well, and yeah, anybody can strollers and, you right. know, moms with kids and yeah, be able to take their wagons and all that kind of stuff. So absolutely. Right. Yeah. Good points. And, and I'm going to a national conference this next week and I will try to see if there are any, um, you know, classes on disability advancements maybe there's something more we could do here that i could could propose this next general session so 
This well, is good timing. We, we would love to work with you. I can tell you that Utah's yeah. trying to be, you know, uh, obviously the government and the governor, you know, they're trying to make Utah uh, the most, like San Antonio, the most accessible outdoor, you know, state in the nation where everybody wants to come see the Red Rocks, right? We're already popular right. and famous. So they're trying to go in that direction, but that would really require, you know, uh, a lot of thoughtfulness and a lot of, you know, design and money to make that happen. And there's really no reason why can't Utah uh, can't be a leader into the nation in regards to that, you know, right. for trying to do something special and different. Uh, we're kind of moving into that direction. I see with the the way you know uh, outdoor recreation is here in utah uh and that's kind of like the desire but there's a lot of work to go into that right and and this year we did pass a lot of money towards right. state parks and so forth right. that might right. be used for that so something yeah I'll, i'm glad to learn about all this so and i would just i was going to echo that i'd happy to work with you and on any piece of legislation and yeah yeah, yeah. eric of, eric please share our information and you know because i i, I yeah i would really yeah. you know representative acted uh, an open invitation for you to come to camp Costopolis if you're not familiar with us i have up, heard of it all my life or you know all my we're, adult we're, life and we're I up in immigration canyon just a couple of miles from the bottom of the canyon from the zoo and we've been here forever uh eric please share uh, my information and uh you know, share with me, uh, represent Acton's information. And I would really love to you and anybody else. We had a lot of the representatives right. from Governor uh, Cox, you know, everybody, we, a lot of oh. people have come to Camp K, but I really love to get oh, yeah. people that are interested in, in disability in our, you know, uh, uh, local Congress here to see how we can work together and, and support you in making Utah the best state in the nation for people with disabilities. That would, yeah. that would be wonderful. Yeah, please share my information because we've like here at Utah State, um, we've actually written some stuff that we've presented to representatives and stuff. So we'd love Ooh. to work with you and help out with anything we can. Yeah, this is this is exciting. <laughs> Thank you. This has been a great discussion, guys. I'm really excited to get around this podcast episode with me today. So my last question I have is, it has been 32 years since the Americans with Displays Act has been passed. It's hard to imagine. Um, what are some of the things that you see that still need improvement on your top three list? What are three things you see that still need improvement? Yeah, I've got, I've got several things. So um, first thing I would like to say, like, again, I focus mainly on like the workplace accommodations and accessibility. Um, but I would like to say that accommodation should be non-stigmatizing. So this means that, you know, accommodation should not draw any unnecessary or negative attention to individuals with disabilities. Um, and I have a ton of examples of um, helping people come up with um, good accommodation plans. Um, but I have a, an example of something that comes to mind when I mention um, stigmatization. So I had a client who had Prader Willi syndrome, right, which is a rare genetic disorder that um, results in a number of physical, um, mental, and behavioral problems. And a key feature of Prader Willi syndrome, um, it's, a, it's a constant sense of hunger um, because individuals with uh, Prader Willi syndrome, um, they want to eat constantly because they never actually feel full. So my client um, would oftentimes try and steal food when he was left alone. 
Um, so he'd recently got a job working at a doggy daycare center, um, which was just so great. Um, and his parents suggested that in order to prevent him from being tempted to steal other employees' food, that the employer should put a lock on the break room fridge that everyone knew the code to except for my client. Right? That is incredibly stigmatizing and extreme, right? So I said, I suggested um, that in order to prevent him from being tempted to steal food, um, that his breaks were at the same time as other employees. So other like employees of the doggy daycare sometimes didn't take breaks at the same time. However, the employer was happy to make this adjustment, right? So this simple accommodation worked. It was non-stigmatizing and it helped include my client into the workplace culture better because he had more opportunities to interact with coworkers. And I, I want to, you know, emphasize that, you know, accommodations aren't just limited to the physical work, to, to the physical environment, right? It can be um, adjusted schedules, uh, modifications to policies and procedures, swapping or limiting, you know, marginal functions at work. Like the sky's the limit, you know, with accommodations um, and, you know, you know, making it so everyone can contribute to the workplace environments. Uh, I think it's uh, Plato that's usually credited with saying um, necessity is the mother of invention, right? And a lot of accommodations or assistive technology is the result of solutions invented to eliminate and reduce those barriers, right? The sky is the limit with accommodations. There's so much interesting and fascinating things out there. I assume wizards are creating a lot of it. Like, it's just amazing what people can come up with. Um, also, another thing under the ADA Act um, that could improve, so in my experience, um, some employers or business owners um, may mistakenly think that it costs more to hire an individual with a disability because they might require an accommodation. And according to some employers, um, there's research on this, um, the root of this concern is the word accommodation itself um, because it has um, a legal context, right, and doesn't really speak to necessarily what accommodations actually do which is increased productivity, right? Especially in a work environment um, and inclusivity. So, you know, I would just say for anyone requesting accommodations, you know, using terms like productivity enhancements or, you know, productivity tools um, when referring to an accommodation um, may assist with any um, misguided fears um, that employers may have. Um, and then uh, another point, um, you know, I didn't, Andy's kind of already talked, we've all kind of talked about this, but um, you know, I feel like accessibility is something that needs to be pointed out sometimes, right? We don't always notice it, right? Like there are still buildings that aren't accessible, right? There shouldn't be cities or places um, at this point that aren't accessible. And transportation is always a huge issue, especially with lifts. Um, and when things aren't accessible, you know, people just go, oh, well, and move on, right? No, <laughs> there needs to be people need to pay attention to this and you know it should be a way of doing business you know a way of operating like a way of life right like that people have access right we sh should have that mindset that accessibility should be the norm and inclusive inclusivity should be the norm um you know all the things that make it easier to get it you know into places um, help everybody right and you know we don't think about that on you know a day-to-day -day basis. We, you know, you know, even going even going into like a clothing store, you know, they pack so much, you know, they can't get around, right? You know, you may be able to get into the building, but you can't get around. Like clothing stores, I have a hard time navigating them, right? Um, you know, there just needs to be more mindfulness, I feel, and you know, it it, it still feels like there's that marginalization, and that's the crux of it. Right. Um, accommodations aren't about asking special favors. It should be the norm. Um, you know, equality. 
Um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, you know, people who participated in that capital call back in 1990, and even today, right, many marginalized groups are still fighting for equality. Um, and, I, and I'm happy for that, right? Um, and But I, I also feel like, you know, that, you know, people have the right to protest, but I feel like it'd be great if we just had synergy around being decent to one another, right? Just being good people um, and accepting and accommodating to all people, right? People, you know, aren't getting the care and support that they need. And, you know, we mentioned earlier that COVID also exposed more disparities and um, inequities um, as far as access to care and also that digital divide, um, you know, access to technology, you know, all these things fit under the ADA. Um, and like everything in this world, you know, there's always opportunity for improvement. Um, and just for me, I've always had the mentality that I am better than no one and no one is better than me. And I feel if the world felt that way and if people were just decent to one another, um, so many things would improve, right? It should just be a mindset that accessibility to everyone is, is a right. Um, you know, because individuals with disabilities can do anything their peers can with the right amount of support and accessibility. It's just having that mindset and not having any, you know, negative feelings towards individuals with disabilities, right? That's just, those are my three bits. Um, Non-stigmatizing, it should be, you know, mindset and, uh, you know, just, an it, it does not, and a lot of accommodations aren't super expensive. Like Andy mentioned earlier, like if you just did it initially, right? Um, you know, it would cost a lot less than like fixing it later, right? So. I would just echo some of that I was gonna say, and I'll keep my really quick, but uh, yeah, planning is one of the big things, planning in advance, planning more often. Um, uh, communication, I think Hillary talked a lot about that. I mean, just talking with the different partners and different community, talking with, you know, what most people want to do the right thing and want to make accommodations or uh, make it accessible, make it be able to work for the, you know, so when I was talking about the apartments that are brand new and all that kind of stuff, I'm sure all the architects and the builders and everything wanted to make it accessible. That was their goal and make it work for the individual. But I'm sure none of them got to the idea. It was like, maybe we should talk with an advocate, talk with somebody who, is the expert on these type of things maybe we should do outreach and maybe we should involve a person with disability and who who is that person and who are those people type of thing and just that communication and then um but like i said when i talk with a lot of people they all want to make it you know accessible and make it work for the individual uh, it's just sometimes that reach it just doesn't make that connection and that kind of goes into that next one is that the advocacy right um being an advocate, not only for, you know, people with disabilities being an advocate, but also for the community at large and everything. Even if you don't have a disability, if, whether you're a leader or you're the janitor or whoever, to be in that advocate, it's like, hey, you guys are doing these type of things around people with disability. Maybe you should involve people with disabilities. There's a saying in the disability world is like, nothing without me, nothing about me without me. Um, and so that's really what we preach and everything. If you're going to talk about disability, accessibility, things like that, you need to have people with disabilities at the table. Um, the, being at the table is another thing. If you're, you know, if they're talking about you and, 
uh, you're at the table if you're if you're not at the table then you're probably on the menu so uh, we don't want to be on the menu we want to be at the discussions and uh, working on these things and then lastly i would say training uh, i think there's a huge training gap um, both on accessibility with like web design um, electronic design um, as far as everything is getting more and more uh, computer technology and savvy and things like that and then I really find that over time we've actually had um, we've regressed when it comes to some of that physical accessibility in our communities and everything and when I've talking with different uh, community leaders and everything what they're finding is a lot of their building code inspectors and everything are retiring and so when they were kind of embraced in the ADA and had tons of, you know, tons of training at the beginning when it was new and everything. And so they had 10, 15 years of experience with dealing with ADA and accessibility, and it became second nature to them. Now they're retired and moved on. Well, all the new people are going there. They didn't have that training and everything. And so they're on to all the new codes and all this kind of stuff. And they're, you know, when, when something is an inch off or two inches here or something like that, they I was like, oh, that doesn't seem like that big of a thing, you know, and they just move on. It's like, well, an inch can be the complete barrier, you know, and um, so, again, I think we need to do a lot more training, especially with our code enforcement people and have. And so some cities have adopted the ADA and some still have not. Um, the state hasn't done some of those things. So really be able to enforce some of those things and set that as a precedent. It's like, hey, we want we embrace the ADA, we embrace accessibility, we want to do these type of things, and these are the things that we're going to do um, to moving forward. And we really need that initiative and leadership, I think. Sorry, I was just going to shamelessly promote myself, because um, a big part of my role is providing technical assistance, and a lot of that is consulting on um, accessibility and accommodation. So anyone, and it's free of charge, so anyone listening, um, if you ever need assistance with accessibility or accommodations, please reach out. Um, I'm happy to help, and again, it's free. So, uh, you know, uh, I came from this conference last week in DC, and um, one of the speakers, who happens to be uh, Ryan Reynolds, the famous actor that played Deadpool, uh, he said, and you know, that's kind of it's kind of important right there it's called earned media he said that you know you can pay millions of dollars into trying to push a message out into marketing right and you might not get what you need out of it but if you're if you're piggybacking on something that is already trading trending you know then you get free benefits because it will be reshared so i think we need to be very creative into pushing this message about people with disabilities in such a way where people accept it and understand it. Otherwise, it's, it's hard. That's why it's such an uphill battle. And I think, you know, maybe, maybe you know, uh, some, some, some marketing or something has to happen in regards to, to understanding how to do that, how to break those barriers and, and make it more natural versus versus unnatural. I don't know if that makes sense what I'm trying to say. It, it makes a lot of sense. I, I really like that point um, because yeah, in my experience of you know job coaching and being on site, um, you know, when 
people don't have a lot of experience, um, you know, interacting with individuals with disabilities, they sometimes, you know, pull back. They don't know what to do. And I, I don't think it comes from a place of ill intent, right? They just, they just, they just don't have a lot of experience interacting with individuals with disabilities. So it's very important for us as advocates and people with experience to model what those interactions look like, right? We need to model that. And everything is a teaching moment, right? Everything is a teaching moment um, because it, it, you know, you should, they should be treated just like everyone else, right? If they do, they do, if they make a mistake at work, they should be held accountable, right? No special favors, you know, like, and they should be trained just like everyone else. They should be included. Yes. And if, yes. you know, yes. and if that's the norm, right, it should be, it should be, you know, like, yeah, we need to start at a younger age so people become more comfortable and always be modeling what those interactions should look like, um, you know, and just, uh, gonna uh, mention something and never talk to someone right at their developmental age always talk to them at the chronological age right um, when you're interacting with an individual with disabilities or you know avoid words like oh you're so brave for having a job no right? they're having a job because that's what expected of society right yeah. like we're all expected to have jobs you know you can't be independent without earning a paycheck i mean that's ultimately what independence is all about right Yep. And, and being, you know, independent, uh, you know, you know, that's, it leads to, you know, having them more control over their lives, right? That autonomy and self-determination, you right. know, like, and yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it's such a powerful tool for us as advocates to be modeling what those interactives interactions look like and be, you know, working towards that change and using everything as a teaching opportunity. Yeah. And I agree with you on that one, Hillary, because my two cents worth is make a friend with a person with a disability, you'll have a friend for life and stuff. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode on the Developabilities Podcast episode on the Americans with Disabilities Act. I just wanted to say thank you to Andy, Mercha, Hillary, and Representative Acton for taking the time out of their busy schedules to be interviewed. And just a reminder, folks, if you have a podcast topic that you'd like to see up and on our show, we would love to hear it. Um, please feel free to email me at estoker at utah.gov and we'll make sure we get your podcast topic on to our list and also get questions for whoever wants to be part of that topic. So thanks so much for listening to our Developabilities Podcast episode on the American Citizens Disabilities Act and have a great day.